Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again this morning. And as we continue our series for the second week on the book of Ephesians, we're looking at the end of chapter one. So how about we pray as we study God's word this morning? Uh, Father in heaven, we pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to believe what your word teaches us. Help us, Lord, to take Paul's approach to knowing you and desiring you above all else and wanting to know you more. Please, Lord, send your spirit to work in our lives, helping us to know you, to know our inheritance and to know your great power for us. And we thank you and praise you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had some good news or an experience that you just couldn't help but burst into song about. No, I haven't either. It's not especially common in the real world, but if you watch any of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals, you'd know that things like Oklahoma or South Pacific and Carousel or so on, that's what happens all the time. Anything that goes on, somebody feels the need to just burst into song. In one of their musicals, The King and I, this English school teacher, Anna Lee Owens, has been hired as a governess for the King of Siam, what we now call Thailand. Now, she's excited to work there and meet all the children and get to know them. And so, of course, she bursts into song. And she sings this song about getting to know you, getting to know all about you, getting to like you and getting to hope you like me, getting to know you and putting it my way, but nicely. You are precisely my cup of tea. Now, that's not the whole song. I could go on, but I won't. Now, although I don't think the Apostle Paul burst into song as he's writing the letter, he could have, but at this point, what he's doing is he's sharing what he's praying for the church in Ephesus. Last week, he's explained how great it is that they've come to faith in Christ and encourages the church there to continue with faith in Christ. So this week, uh, we've got a lot of getting to know people, as we see in our outline. Paul's getting to know the Ephesians, uh, verses 15 and 16. Uh, The Ephesians are getting to know God, and that's what he prays that they'll do, in verses 17 and the beginning of 18. Uh, The Ephesians are getting to know their inheritance at the end of chapter 1, verse 18. And Paul prays that they'll be getting to know God's power for them, verses 19 to 23. There's a lot of things to get to know today. So let's get into it. Uh, Really, what Paul wants is for them to know God more. Uh, And that's really why he prays what he prays. If the Ephesians were in the musical, I think that that's what they'd be singing, is getting to know you. They'd be getting to know God. They've come to faith in him. And now Paul's encouragement is stick with Christ. Stick with faith in Christ. Get to know him more. Don't look anywhere else. Don't give Jesus away for something else. Stick to faith in Christ. And once you've come to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you don't move on to something different. No, you keep on keeping on with that relationship. And that's what Paul says will happen, and he hopes will happen in Ephesus. So let's see Paul's reasons for this. Uh, He says here in verse 15, he begins, For this reason. What reason is that? What reason does Paul have to pray that they'll get to know God more? Well, remember last week we talked about how the Ephesians have benefited from God's great plan of salvation. Since before the creation of the world, God chose them, he loved them in Christ at just the right time when Christ died for them, 
They've benefited from that. They've been redeemed. Their sins are forgiven. And God has given them the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing their future inheritance. And so because they've benefited so greatly from God's love, uh, where God has selected them, uh, the Son has saved them, and the Spirit has sealed them, that's why they should get to know God more. Because of how truly great and how wonderful it is that these people have this incredible relationship with God and a future that is unbelievable. It is just so wonderful that Paul says, for this reason... For the reason that you've come to faith in Christ, I've not stopped giving thanks and praying for them. Now, isn't that great? Paul hasn't just expounded the gospel to them. He hasn't just told them that Jesus loves them. It's almost like he's demonstrating this as well as he goes on. Uh, Paul has started the church there in Ephesus. He spent probably two and a half years, uh, and then he traveled again further on on his missionary journey. And As he communicates with the church, you've got to understand that these things take a long time. There was no phone calls or emails or Facebook messengers in the day. If you wanted a message from one end of the known world to the other, it's going to take quite some time to get there. So as Paul moves on from Ephesus, he's a long way off, and it's going to take quite some time for him to get any news of that church. No doubt after a couple of years of being there, he would be wondering how the church is going. How are those people? Uh, How is that church that I planted? I'd love to know. And it's almost like perhaps some time has elapsed now and he's got some good news. And this is why he says he continually gives thanks for their faith. They've stuck with faith in Christ, despite all the opposition that they've faced. And he doesn't just pray once. Look at what Paul says he does. He says he has not stopped praying. He is continually praying. He constantly prays. This isn't just something that slips his mind and occasionally thinks about the church in Ephesus. Oh, that's right, I was there for a while. And No, he loves these people. He's praying for them all the time. He's desperately wanting them to know God more. He's getting to know them and he wants to encourage them. He can't be with them in person as much as he would love to. So he writes them a letter giving thanks and praising them and praising God for what he's doing. So he does what he can do. He can't be with them in person, but he can pray. Now, it'd be nice to know that someone was praying for you, isn't it? If someone says, oh, I'm praying for you, that's nice. We often think that that's a good thing. But isn't it even better to know what someone is praying? Because you, you never really know what they're thinking. But if someone says, look, I'm praying for you about this, then that's really encouraging. And so Paul tells them not only is he praying for them all the time, but he explains what he's praying. And he says he prays that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they'll know him better, that they'll get to know him more. Not that they'll discover something new, but that they'll get to know the God that they already know even more. He doesn't say that you've come to faith now and that's great, the end. Uh, Don't worry about anything else. You're now saved. Forget about knowing God any deeper. You don't need it. Once saved, always saved. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. In fact, it's the opposite. 
He says, now that you have come to faith, develop that, grow that relationship with God. We heard last week about how it's as if God has adopted us into his family. Uh, He loved us so much that he brought us from being dead in our sins and slavery to sin and has saved us and brought us into his family. As now sons and daughters of the king, uh, we develop this relationship with God. And notice what Paul doesn't say. Notice that nowhere in Paul's prayer does he ask for them to be happy or healthy or wealthy or free from suffering or free from persecution. Nowhere does Paul mention that at all, even though no doubt they were probably unhappy and poor and persecuted. But that's not what Paul wants for that church. He doesn't say, my, my heart's desire for you is that you will be free from your troubles. He doesn't say that at all. What he says is, my heart's desire is that you know God more, no matter your life circumstances. Rich or poor, old or young, persecuted or free, doesn't matter. Get to know God. That's what Paul wants more than anything else. Knowing God is more important than anything on earth. It's the number one thing Paul wants for his church there in Ephesus. Imagine then if Paul could do more for that church. What, what could he do? Well, I think what he would do is to continue teaching them about God. That's what Paul wants for that church. If Paul could have just one thing for this church, it would be that they have a better knowledge of God. I wonder, do we ever pray like this ourselves? Are we often caught up in the things of this world? Praying for somebody's health or financial situation may not be a bad thing, uh, but that shouldn't just be all that we're concerned with. Uh, Paul's example to me is a wake-up call that simply praying for the things of this life are really minimising what God wants for us. Uh, It's not wrong to pray for these things, but we should also be concerned with people's spiritual well-being. Pray that people will develop their relationship with God more. Pray that they'll grow in their knowledge and their love of God. Pray for spiritual well-being and spiritual growth. That's what Paul does here in his prayer. That's his focus. So Paul asks God to give the Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know him better. Uh, And it's not that they don't know him. He doesn't say, well, you've heard about God and you're really not sure who he is, let me tell you. No, no, they have faith in God already. And what he says is he prays that God's spirit will help them to know God more, to know him better. And it's not that they haven't been given the spirit. They have. Last week we saw that, didn't we? And we saw how the Holy Spirit was given as the seal, the proof of purchase, if you like. And it's also the deposit that guarantees their future inheritance. So it's not that Paul is saying, you've come to saving faith, but you don't have the spirit. No, no, God has given them the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying is that he prays the spirit will be at work in their lives helping them know God more, knowing the inheritance that they have awaiting them. 
Knowing God more doesn't come from learning some kind of new secret or participating in some kind of ritual or figuring out all the different numbers in the Bible and adding them together and subtracting the number of books and working out some kind of secret code. That's not how we know God more. In fact, those things will take away from knowing God. So then how should people know God more? If this is Paul's concern, uh, how is it that we can do that? Well, historically, uh, we as Christians have been taught that we can know God in part through the creation. Uh, we can read in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, uh, that the creation is evidence that God exists and we can see something of his power in that. And even John Calvin affirms this and he says, the creation is quite like a spacious and splendid house provided and filled with the most exquisite and the most abundant furnishings. Everything in it tells us of God. In the same way as you could go visit someone in their house and you can tell what kind of person they are based on what you see in their house. Oh, you can see the photos of the relatives and you can see all the things that they own and you get a sense for the kind of person they are. In the same way, Calvin is saying that the world itself tells us about God. We should be able to see his splendour, his glory and his power in the creation. But this is not a personal knowledge, is it? We can kind of get an idea that there is a God, but we don't really know who he is. Unless we can identify the people in the photos that we see in someone's house, we don't really know who they are. We can get a sense for what they're like, but unless we have that personal relationship, uh, then none of this really matters. So to know more about God, God would have to reveal it to us. And there are things that we as people just can't know about one another unless we divulge that. You wouldn't know where someone was born and wouldn't know that Dan has a funny name that's not really Dan unless he told you. And this is what God has done for us. God has revealed something of himself in the world but has made himself known more deeply, more personally by giving us Jesus. Now, right through the Old Testament, God has revealed himself in various different ways, and, and we can see that in, in certain parts of the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament. But to truly know God for us today and for the Ephesians then, we need to know that, as John 14, 9 tells us, uh, just as Jesus himself told his disciples that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, God's final messenger and final revelation of himself is in Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this, uh, that in, in the past, in many various different ways, God has revealed himself by the prophets, but now he's given us Jesus, the ultimate, final, full and perfect revelation of who God is. So God has made himself known to us in Jesus. And so if we want to know God more, we really need to know Jesus more. You know, we can know something from the world around us, but to know God really, we've got to know Jesus. And so it is the same with God. Uh, Paul prays that God will reveal himself by his spirit so that in verse 18 he says that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened and you can know the hope that you have. 
Uh, John Calvin writes again, "...till the Spirit of God has made it known to us by a secret revelation, the knowledge of our divine calling exceeds the capacity of our own mind." Does it make sense? Uh, Without the work of the Spirit bringing God's plan to light, we could never know what God has in store for us. Our eyes need light to see. If you've ever been out in the dead of night trying to find your way around a campsite somewhere, perhaps you'll experience this in New Donetsk in a couple of weeks. Uh, It's very hard to see if it's pitch black, isn't it? You can't really tell what is where and You kind of vaguely make out shapes of things, but is that a tent or a car or a tree or a house? It's not really clear, is it? But as Calvin says, God reveals these things to us. It's as if he turns the lights on and we can see. Uh, Knowing God otherwise would exceed our capacity. We could not do it unless God is at work in us. And so God wants us to know him. And Paul wants the Ephesians to get to know God. And the way that that's going to work is God's going to reveal that to us by the Spirit. And as we come to saving faith in him, we grow in our relationship with him. And remember, the Spirit is the uh, deposit that guarantees our inheritance. And this word is something that he used last week in verse 14. Remember that inheritance language that Paul says, It's about a future blessing. The Spirit is the thing that guarantees that in future we will get what God has in store for us. It's the future blessings that the Ephesians will get because they're Christians. And so this is not just some kind of piddly, measly inheritance. This is the glorious riches of the inheritance. Now talk about glorious riches. If somebody in their will left you, dear your name, I hereby leave to you all of my glorious riches. Hey, now we're talking glorious riches. This is great. Sign me up. But it's not physical, is it, right? Last week, we heard that it was blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so this time, the riches, again, are spiritual. The the inheritance is the eternal life that we have with God in heaven. So this is a glorious, beautiful, rich blessing, not something that is kind of mediocre and you could take or leave. This is marvellous. And this is why Paul wants the Ephesians to know God more, so that they can know this inheritance that they have. Know how good it will be to be finally united with one another and with God in heaven. It'll be perfect. So stick with faith in Christ. And this is why Paul prays that they continue knowing God. And my prayer is, too, that we, like the Ephesians, understand how great this inheritance is how blessed we are to have eternal life. And nothing else compares to it. No other earthly glorious riches could really hold a candle to what God has in store for us. So even if, like the Ephesian church, we might be small or persecuted or poor, don't worry about that because God has something far better in store for us in our inheritance, the eternal life that is to come. And then he moves on to ask the Ephesians and to ask God that the Ephesians will understand God's power. And so Paul gives us an analogy. 
Now, I didn't just watch Barbie recently. I had to watch Oppenheimer as well to complete the Barbenheimer doubleheader. Um, I don't know why, but for some reason, everyone wants to watch both of them back to back. Uh, so as I was watching Oppenheimer, it was interesting to see that humans have developed these weapons that are incredibly powerful. Uh, the power with just one bomb to wipe out an entire city. And the movie sort of has Oppenheimer wrestling with the ethics of this and, and trying to figure out, is it the right thing to do or not? Uh, and nuclear weapons are certainly very powerful, but when you think about it, they're just doing on a bigger scale what humans have been doing forever, killing one another. Uh, on one hand, yeah, we've invented new ways to do that and we're getting very good at it, but real power is not killing one another, it's bringing people back from the dead. Now, can you do that? No? Has anyone invented some sort of new nuclear weapon thing that brings everybody back to life? Like a reverse atomic bomb or something. So, it, how? We laugh. We think it's ridiculous. But this is our problem, isn't it? We've become very good at killing one another. That seems to be where real power lies, but actually what Paul says is real power comes from God who raised Christ from the dead. It's pretty easy to kill someone. Well, not that I'd know, I haven't ever done it. But historically speaking, and we see continuing today here on earth, we humans keep inventing new and powerful ways to kill each other, but bringing people to new life, raising people from the dead... No one's figured that out. No one except God has that power. And so Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's power because he kills death itself. Jesus is raised to new life, conquering death, not just for him, but for us and for all who turn to him in faith. God's power is so great that it would dwarf any nuclear bomb. He can raise people to life new life and eternal life. Uh, and this is the same power that God is using in our lives. The same power to bring Jesus back from the dead, he uses to bring us back from the dead too. Uh, we have the same hope of an eternal life with God. It's incredible. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's so vast and so rich that Paul eagerly desires the Ephesians to know God more so they can appreciate how good this is. And Paul has been constantly praying for the Ephesians that they will know God more. He prays that God will reveal more of himself to them so that they can understand how great this inheritance is and how powerful God is in raising us from the dead. And Paul says that this power is in incomparably or incomparably great. Depends how you want to speak. Uh, it, it's bigger and it's better than anything else that, that you could ever find. And so Paul is saying for this reason, because it is so good, stick to faith in Christ. Because eventually Christ will be head over absolutely all things everywhere. That's the kind of power that we will see at work. Uh, and we got a taste, just a glimpse of that, with Jesus' resurrection. 
And since God is so immeasurably powerful, we too can be confident that his plan of salvation will come through, that this world will come to the conclusion God said that it would. Uh, J.I. Packer has this great quote in his book, Knowing God. He says, your faith will not fail while God sustains you. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. If Jesus has ascended to heaven, if he is sitting at the right hand of the Father with all authority over everyone, everywhere, then we should really want to get to know him. All these blessings that are true for the Ephesians are true for us today. And so we ought to be a bit like Anna from The King and I as she sings this song about how eagerly she desires to get to know these kids. We've got to take that approach to God, knowing that God has all power and so will do what he said he will. So take every opportunity to know God more to read the Bible, to pray, to talk about the things of God, get along to church camp or the Albury Men's Convention, go to the Christian Convention in Katoomba or Dubbo. We need to be reminded more and more and more as Christians how great it is that God has saved us and the power of God that is at work in us now and how incomparable that is, how great these things are. And I'll just finish with this quote again from J.I. Packer, who wrote this terrific little book called Knowing God. He says this, let's pray, and he says this, sorry, there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. So for this reason, let's pray and give thanks for all that God has done in Christ and ask that God will reveal more of himself to us, just as Paul did for the Ephesians. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks that you have made yourself known, that you have shown us how great you are and how much you love us and how you're using your incomparable power to save us. Uh, Lord God, we pray that we will get to know you more. Help us, Lord, to have that same spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul asked for the Ephesian church. And Father, we pray that you will work in our lives, growing us to love you more and to know you day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.